0: I want to welcome all of you to these Lenten Reflections. I know how difficult it is not being able to come and receive Eucharist. I assure you once more that your bishops and your priests are celebrating Mass every day for you and your loved ones. And we're so glad that you're taking this opportunity to be able to live the spirit of Lent and reflect on on these themes that hopefully will help us to grow in our own conversion and our life of discipleship. Welcome to a virtual retreat with Cardinal Sean. Christ, our light in the darkness. Today's episode, Prayer. I've always liked the story about a man who loved going for walks to enjoy the beauties of nature. And one day he was out uh, walking near the edge of a cliff and he was distracted by the scenery and took a step and fell over this cliff. And as he's falling into this very deep precipice, he reaches out and grabs a bush. And there he is dangling over this Very, very deep gap and worried for his life. He's terrified. And he calls out, is there anyone up there? And this booming voice comes back and said, yes, what do you want? And he shouted, save me. And the voice came booming back again and said, let go of the bush. And the man shouted out, is there anybody else up there? Too often, we want to come to God on our own terms, but we need to go to God on his terms. In God's terms, our prayer, trust in his goodness, and talking to him from our hearts. A few years ago, there was a a film came out called Contact. And the storyline is how a group of scientists in the desert somewhere in the Southwest had these special instruments to detect if any messages were coming from outer space. And apparently this is really true. Our government does pay for that kind of uh, equipment uh, just in case there are any intelligent life forms out there that are trying to contact us. Well in the film they begin to get these signals and are able to decode it And discover that indeed there is some intelligent life form instructing them how they can build a spaceship that will allow human beings to go out into outer space and have a meeting with these intelligent life forms it was a very popular movie this contact but to me it was kind of a parable of what prayer is like we need to be in the silence of the desert. We need to be in a listening mode if we're going to hear God speaking in our hearts. But prayer is that spaceship that allows us to go out and have that close encounter of the third kind and to be united to our God. Today there's a lot of interest in prayer, almost like a fad and often a lot of confusion. Prayer is not so much a duty as it is a privilege. Prayer is not so much a problem as it is a gift. As the scriptures say, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, this great hunger for spiritual experiences expresses itself and oftentimes in cults or drugs or dangerous thrills that people seek. But when we read the Old Testament, we see something very interesting. How God manifests himself in the fire, in the pillar of the cloud, in the burning bush, in that breeze on the mountaintop. But those Old Testament people who were receiving this revelation never confused the experience with the reality. God is not a cloud. He is not a bush. He's not a breeze. These are but manifestations. The experience is not God. In prayer, we will at times experience what seems to be the closeness of God because of the consolations that we receive or great joy or interior peace. But these things are not God. They are only the manifestation of God's presence. At other times, we'll experience what seems like the absence of God, the dark night of the soul. Mother Teresa talks about this so much as her experience in her prayer life over so many years. But these moments of darkness can be very important times of purification. We must never confuse the experience of joy or consolation with an experience of God. We must make or not make our nice feelings a false god that we worship. St. John of the Cross talks about how God gives us those consolations, those wonderful feelings as a way of getting us started in the life of prayer. But then he takes them away so that we'll grow in our faith. He compares it to a mother who's trying to teach her children how to walk. She carries the baby around, and then she puts the baby on the floor so it'll start to crawl, and the baby cries. But if the mother picks the baby up every time it cries, it'll never crawl and will never walk. And so it is in the life of prayer. At times, God has to withdraw those consolations and experience of light because it's an experience of darkness that we will learn how to walk and grow in our faith. Some people who only pray when they have those great emotional highs will find that their spiritual life often is in fits and starts. Jesus teaches us so much about prayer. We have the example of his life. He was a man of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the mountains, in the temple, in the synagogue, in the desert. He also teaches us a lot about prayer particularly in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Now, these two Gospels are written for different audiences. Matthew was written for the Jewish Christians. The first Christians all came from the Jewish community in the Holy Land. And so Matthew quotes extensively from the Old Testament. Those Jewish Christians would have been very conversant uh, with the Jewish scriptures and he organizes the gospel into five sermons much like the pentateuch in the old testament and jesus teaching on prayer included in matthew have a special relevance to the jewish people who come to the faith with a great tradition of liturgy and formal prayer that kind of piety that is so beautiful but when there's formal prayer in liturgy, there's always a danger of formalism, of just counting on the exteriors rather than making it a prayer from the heart. And so when Jesus is addressing them, he tells us as in that wonderful gospel that we hear uh, every Ash Wednesday about when you're going to pray, go to your chamber, shut the door, and pray to your Father in secret because we want to make sure that our prayer isn't just a show or just isn't external. It's something that comes from our heart, from the ardor of our faith. The Pharisees were often out praying in public, holding up their hands in the middle of the plaza so that everyone would admire them and say, oh, how holy they are. But in Luke's gospel, we see Jesus is directing his teachings on prayer to those Gentile Christians, the Christians who came to the faith from paganism. They don't have the same tradition of spirituality and liturgy and ritual that the Jews did. And so in Luke's gospel, the insistence is so much on perseverance. Pray always without giving up. We have those wonderful parables of the widow, badgering the unjust judge until he finally gives in or or the neighbor who goes over to borrow some bread from his neighbor who's already in bed and keeps banging on the door until the man gets up. Jesus wants to teach us to persevere in prayer. God is our father who sustains us and who loves us. Jesus's greatest teaching on prayer comes in a response to the apostles' petition. Lord, teach us how to pray the way that John the Baptist taught his disciples. So Jesus teaches us the Our Father, that beautiful prayer that we say every day, which is a model for all prayer. And it begins with the words, Our Father. Toynbee, in his History of the World, Says that every civilization is formed by the concept of God held by the people of that age think of the Aztecs how their gods were very cruel always demanding human sacrifices in order that the the changes of season would occur the Greeks and the Romans made their gods in the likeness and image of man with all their vices and rivalries In the Enlightenment period, people conceived of God as the great clockmaker who wound up the clock and then throws it out into space and then turns his back and walks away. But Jesus, when he wants to teach us to pray, teaches us this concept of God as our Father. God who is, as Jesus calls him, Abba. That very intimate expression it's like dad. Jesus begins by teaching us this concept of God as a father. In another place in the gospel, Jesus has called no man father. I know a lot of people use that against uh, the practice in the Catholic Church of calling our priests father. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is telling us that when we use the word father for God, God is more father than any human father or any priest will ever be. He's the source of all fatherhood in the world. And when we say that God is father, and then my dad, Ted O'Malley, is my father, it's almost as different as saying chocolate cake is good, And Mother Teresa is good. Good doesn't mean the same in those two phrases. But God is Father. Father who is the source of all fatherhood, who creates us, who corrects us, who cares for us, who loves us unfailingly. The scriptures say a mother could forget her child, but God says, I will never forget you. Your face is engraved on the palm of my hand. Our Father, who art in heaven, God is transcendently, totally other. The pagans worshipped the beauties of nature, the mountains, the sun, the moon, the trees. But God is completely other, even though He is so close to us as a Father. We pray, Hallowed be Thy name, because God's name is holy, and we have to praise Him. We have to praise His goodness. But the very heart of this prayer, I find, in the next two petitions. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I must confess, so often when we're praying, I think what we mean is, my kingdom come, my will be done. But if we really trust in our God, then we'll want his will to be done to be accomplished because we know that's the very best thing that could ever happen to us. I always say the three most important prayers in the New Testament all have this as a common theme, seeking to embrace the will of God. At the Annunciation, Mary's prayer, Be it done unto me according to thy word. God is knocking on the door to humanity, and Mary opens that door up to let God into our history, into our families, into our lives. As Mother Teresa used to say, give God permission. That's what Mary was doing, seeking God's will. And Jesus is prayer in Gethsemane that the gospel says he repeated over and over and over again father not my will but thine be done yes prayer must always be seeking the will of God in our lives trusting him when we pray give us this day our daily bread Jesus teaches us to pray for this day it reminds me of Moses with the people of God in the desert when they were given the manna from heaven. Moses said, now you go out, pick up the manna you need, but only enough for today. No taking extra. Some people, of course, (laughs) went out, took a little extra. Well, I might get a visitor, I might get hungry during the night. But that manna extra that they took rotted in their homes. God was trying to teach them to trust to ask for the manna for today because tomorrow there was going to be more manna there and they wouldn't have to worry about it some people ask me what's the value of rote prayer the prayers that we memorize and that we repeat sometimes people think that prayer to be authentic has to be spontaneous and poetic but the words aren't really that important As jesus says don't babble on like the 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 pagans you know they thought saying abracadabra and all these things would would bring about some sort of magical result results but what is important really is the ardor and the faith in our hearts sometimes when we're praying the psalms or praying the the prayers of the saints we think wow these sentiments are so much bigger than i am We feel like little children trying on their parents clothes and everything is too big but we grow into those clothes and we grow into those sentiments and that prayer transforms us many years ago uh, someone took me to see a play in Washington about the life of Edith Stein who was a Carmelite sister of Jewish extraction who died in the extermination camps of the Nazis, and who was later canonized. I was fascinated by the play. It was, a Guatemalan author wrote it, and at the time, I knew nothing about uh, Edith Stein. But in the play, the author kept contrasting the life of the sisters in the Carmel with the headquarters of the Nazi soldiers. And it would go back and forth. And at one point it occurred to me wow whenever those sisters speak it's it's so beautiful Uh, the phrases that they have really were very poetic and and then after a while i realized that the author to make the conversation the dialogue among the nuns had just strung together phrases from the psalms and i thought how beautiful those Carmelite sisters whose day is filled with praying the divine office praying the Psalms those words are in their hearts and in their minds and in this moment of danger of death of tragedy those are the words of God that come to their lips when they speak to each other they were transformed by those rote prayers by those prayers that they repeated and said every day it's like The seven last words of Jesus those seven last phrases on the cross most of them are prayers that are taken from the Psalms phrases that Jesus learned as a little child and repeated over and over and over again and for those of us who have accompanied a dying person we realize that you know when someone is dying they're praying Hail Mary full of grace Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. They're praying those prayers that they learned as a child. In Kazantzakis' biography of St. Francis, there's a wonderful dialogue, which I like so much, between St. Francis and Brother Leo. And St. Francis says to Brother Leo, Leo, tell me, what was the special way in your life that allowed you to discover God? And at first, Leo didn't want to answer. But St. Francis insisted and insisted. And finally, Leo said, "'Well, Francis, if you have to know, "'by the grace of God, I was born lazy.'" My brothers and sisters were very ambitious and they went out and and worked hard and made a lot of money and became very famous. But I used to like to go out in the fields and look at the animals and the birds and, and look at the sunset. And at night, I go to the roof of my father's house and, and contemplate the stars and the moon and the planets. And I'd ask myself, where did all this beauty come from? And at first it was only curiosity, but then it became an overwhelming desire to know the source of all goodness and beauty. And so by being lazy, I discovered God in my life. Well the moral of the story is that sloth is going to help us in our spiritual life but the moral is we need time and space for God in our lives. The great controversy in the gospel is not women's ordination or celibacy or the pill. The great controversy is always around the Sabbath. The Pharisees are always criticizing Jesus because he's curing these people on the Sabbath. But Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is for people. People aren't for the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath is for us. We need Sabbath in our lives. That special time, sacred time, time that we dedicate to God. And we need to have a little Sabbath time every day. St. Thomas More, when he was the Prime Minister of England was so busy, on Sundays that he made Fridays his personal and special sabbath so that he would have time for God in his life Jesus began his public ministry with 40 days of sabbath 40 days of retreat in the desert In fact the first 30 years of Jesus's life were very much a time Of prayer and contemplation in Nazareth a sacred time there's also sacred places in the gospel Jesus had favorite places where he liked to pray on the Mount of Olives in the desert in the mountain top St. Francis had his places in Assisi he would go to the carchery which were these caves and of course St. Ignatius of Loyola like Manresa that's where he prayed we all need to have favored times and places for prayer A friend of mine said that his car is his chapel he listens to spiritual reflections on his way to work in his commute and he makes it a time of prayer we need a plan for our spiritual life what I call a rule of life that identifies those sacred times and spaces where we can have time and place for God in our lives. Discipleship means having a life of prayer. And the centerpiece, of course, is our Eucharistic worship. But having Sabbath every day, moments of that laziness of Brother Leo, Where we seek God in his beauty and listen to him speaking in our heart we need a rule of life a game plan so that we will have time and space for God each day families need shared prayer as Father Peyton used to say the family that prays together stays together and I believe that I see that in my own family how important it was for us to pray at the meals to pray the rosary to go to Mass together those were times of great spiritual bonding that I'm so grateful for. If there's no plan, it won't happen. And we need to make it happen. Parents and grandparents, like Jesus and the disciples, must be teachers of prayer. Our people, that sometimes are bored at mass. I always liked that story about Flannery O'Connor. They say when she was a little girl, living in the South where there were very few Catholics, maybe less than 1%. And her closest friend was a little Baptist girl and she always wanted to take her to mass and she was constantly inviting her. And finally this little girl's mother gave her permission to go with Flanders so she took her to mass. And afterwards she said, well, what did you think? Did you like it? Did you like it? The little girl said, wow, you Catholics really have something That priest was mumbling in a language nobody could understand. The sermon was so boring. The music was so bad. And all those people were there. Well, all those people were there because they weren't going to Mass to be entertained. They were people who knew how to pray and knew that a miracle was taking place and needed to be there. We need to make prayer A priority in our lives it's a quest a quest that can transform us and help us to grow in our awareness of God's constant unfailing loving care for us may our Lent be a moment to reconnect with God contact in prayer and discover that we are never alone We are always in his loving hands. Let me end with one of my favorite prayers, which is a a gloss on the Our Father by Blessed Charles Foucault. It's called a Prayer of Abandonment. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me whatever you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I'm ready for all. I accept all let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures i wish no more than this o lord into your hands i commend my soul i offer it to you with all the love of my heart for i love you lord and so need to give myself to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence for you are my father amen Let me thank all of you for participating in our Lenten mission. I hope that you will tune in tomorrow. God bless you, good night.